Okay, Parshas Kedoshim, welcome back. Okay, what, I, what we've been learning refresh for a while, and we're going to continue doing so today. We're going to cover, as we've really been doing, as we've been learning, his writing the first few psukim of each parsha and his commentary on it. And he has some magnificent comments on, uh, on the opening of our parsha. So what I'd like to do is let's learn first uh, literally three psukim together, and then we'll go back and forth amongst the psukim, both with Rashi um, and Refersh's comments on them. So the psukim are in front of you. The parsha begins as follows, Vayidaber Hashem el Moshe Lemor. Shem spoke to Moshe saying, as follows, Daber el kol adas b'nei Yisrael, speak to the entirely, entirety of the assembly of the people of Israel, alem, and you will say to them, Kiddoshim tihiyu, you shall be holy, ki kadosh ani Hashem because I, your God, am holy. This Pasuk, which is the name of our parasha Kiddoshim, is the command in which Hashem tells us, be holy. Now, of course, we're going to have to understand what does it mean? What does it look like to be holy? But this is the Pasuk that tells us that is a goal. In other words, you can always work through the details, but first you have to understand, like, what's the mission? What's the goal? What's the purpose? So the purpose is, as the name of the parasha goes, holiness, sanctity, kedusha, a commandment that's given to us, as Rashi and Refersh notes, El kol adas b'nei Yisrael, the phrases to the entirety of the Jewish people, I want you to be a holy people. The Pasuk also tells us, and why is it required of us to be a holy people? Ki kadosh because I am holy, and because I am holy, Hashem says, therefore I demand it of you to raise yourself to a level of holiness as well. And this is what we will speak about uh, this afternoon. But let's just do one more Pasuk. So what's the first Pasuk that we then get after this command to be holy? Ish imo ve'aviv tira'u. Each person and each imo ve'aviv, his mother and his father, tira'u, he shall fear. The better translation is the one that you actually have in front of you. Not just fear, but to revere. One should, I don't want to use the word honor because there are two sides of the coin of how a child has to treat his parents. One mitzvah is the mitzvah from the Aseris Hadibros, as we're familiar, to honor one's father and one's mother. And this pasuk is to revere one's mother and one's father. Rashi comments right away, what does it mean? What does it look like? How does one fulfill the mitzvah of revering one's mother and one's father? So Rashi tells us, um, that it means in this situation one should not sit in one's father's seat um, one should not contradict his words that's what it would mean the two examples that Rashi gives as to revering one's father can't sit in the, that's, that's your father's seat can't contradict him directly in front of him in front of other people listen a father says something wrong so there's a time and a place to make sure that it's right but you can't say no no Abba that's wrong that's what it means to revere one's mother and one's father versus the mitzvah of kibud is to provide food, to provide drink, to provide clothing, to provide housing. That's the mitzvah of honoring one's parents. And here we have the mitzvah of revering or fearing one's parents. And then the rest of the pasuk, as shab soisai tishmoru, observe and keep my Shabbos. Ani Hashem Elokechem. I am Hashem, your God. So we have the opening command of to be holy, followed by two commands in the same pasuk of uh, honor or revere your mother and your father and observe my Shabbos. Okay, much to talk about in terms of how we start with Kedusha, why these are the first two mitzvahs after that, the idea of revering one's parents, the idea of keeping Shabbos. And then the Torah goes through the rest of the parsha is a really a beautiful list. I highly recommend 
both in advance of Shabbos and Shabbos morning in Shul, reading through a list, Pasuk after Pasuk, Mitzvah after Mitzvah, many, many beautiful ideas, all of which in this idea of how to achieve and attain this level of Kedusha. Okay, let's start with a number of comments. Who is this taught to? Who does Moshe gather when he gives this command of Kedoshim Tihiyu, I want you to be a holy people. So the Torah is very clear, El Kol Adas B'nei Yisrael, to the entire assembly of the Jewish people. Now you or I reading that might just skim right through that. Okay, yes, yeah, speak to the Jewish people. We see that phrase all the time. Not true. Refersh points out, as Rashi notes as well, often we have Daber El B'nei Yisrael, Daber el Adas B'nei Yisrael, but there are only, speak to the Jewish people, speak to the assembly of the Jewish people. This phrase, which is in the entirety of the Jewish people, Daber el Kol Adas B'nei Yisrael, only appears twice in all of Chumash, where Moshe is required to gather everyone to hear a command. That phrase, Kol Adas B'nei Yisrael, what are the two times? In all of Chumash, where Moshe is given this command to gather absolutely everyone to hear something, so one, will not surprise you, is the Korban Pesach. When the Jews were in Mitzrayim getting ready to leave and they were given the command of Korban Pesach, which was the most fundamental mitzvah they were given of, separate yourself from the Egyptians and the Egyptian deities. I want you to take this lamb and you're going to bring it as a korban. This is going to be the blood on the doors that's going to establish you as part of the Jewish nation. That was spoken, El Kol Adas B'nei Yisrael. Everybody has to come and hear. Everybody has to be a part of that. And it makes sense. The significance of what exactly that was, everybody had to gather. Here, too, we have that phrase, this mitzvah, Kiddoshim Tihiyu. You are obligated, required to be holy, sanctified, is also spoken to absolutely everybody. I want to share with you, before we get to refer a comment from the Maharal, an amazing, amazing comment. First, Rashi says that this, the fact that this phrase is used to gather the entirety of the assembly of the Jewish people is, is Melame teaches us, Rashi says, Shenemer Parsha Zu This Parsha, this mitzvah, particularly of Kedoshim and then the following Psukim, was said with everybody gathered together. So Rashi explains, because the majority of Torah is based on these, the series of psukim that we're going to learn in this parsha, all of the mitzvot, the ethics, the morals, and the behaviors that we're going to learn in Parsha's Kedoshim, everybody's got to know them. This is the essence of the Gufe Torah, that's the body of Torah. So everybody needed to come and listen. But it is an amazing thing. So the Maral points something out, which I just found, this, I find astounding. So that means everybody had to come. Well, what about all the other mitzvot? Like, not everybody was required, was required to come. So the Morel says, well, yeah, I mean, in general, when Moshe would teach a mitzvah, he would gather everybody together. He would put up signs, you know, the first plastering of signs like they have in, in Israel on the side. Like, Moshe's teaching a new mitzvah, come and gather. And everybody would, uh, everybody would come. And in fact, the, the Gemara explains that first he would bring in Aharon, and he would teach Aharon, then he would bring in Aharon's sons, and then he would teach it again to the Zikanim, and then the, the, all the people would come. There was a whole process as to how Moshe would teach each individual mitzvah to the entirety of the people. However, says the Maharal, every other mitzvah, every other mitzvah, lo hayu michuyavin sheyavau kol Yisrael. Every Jew was not obligated to show up at every moment of every teaching that Moshe was doing through the desert. This is the words of the Maharal. If they weren't, they didn't have panai, they weren't free, they wouldn't come. 
Aval beparsha hazos, but these two parshas, the parsha of uh, Korban Pesach back in Mitzrayim, and this parsha of Kedoshim, Hayamakil Kol Yisrael, he gathered together everybody for Hayutzrichin Lavo. Everybody was obligated to come. Now, what I find astounding, and I just want to share, I think it's, I, I think it's a value. So this means to say, listen, they were in the desert for forty years. Moshe is teaching all the time. So as he was teaching, if something came up and somebody wasn't available, so they didn't have to come, they didn't have a, an obligation to show up every time. But this, when Moshe introduces this by saying, when Hashem says to Moshe, Daber el kol adas so I want you to speak to everybody. Everybody had to come. This was like one of the signs went out and they said, this one's not optional. Everybody has to be here. And Moshe would teach us, Kedoshim ti, I want you to be holy. It's just worth noting the morale is not my words. I would never say something like this if my somebody said it before me. The morale says there was such a thing in the desert that a Jew would say, I'm not free. I'm not free to come learn from Moshe Rabbeinu. Rebunish hey, Allah, what are you doing? What's going on in the desert? There's no business. There's no commerce. There's no nothing going on. You're in the desert for 40 years. Your only job is to learn Torah from Moshe. And it so happens that a person's not free. They're not available. Things happen. I have the kids. It's not feeling well. I have to go to the bathroom. I have to take care of that. Ah, whatever it is. There was such a thing in the desert that Moshe Rabbeinu would come and announce, I'm teaching a mitzvah, and a Jew would say, I'm not available. I just, that concept is astounding, but it's a reality. But there were certain things that Moshe taught, and everybody had to come. And... Uh, I, I make that comment just as a, as a ha'ara, as, as just an insight that the morale could say, you know, sometimes you have the greatest teacher available, you're in the desert in the greatest environment for learning, Moshe is teaching directly what he learned from Hashem, and sometimes there's something else that gets in the way, I'm not able to come. There's sometimes you have to make time, and sometimes, I can't, I just can't. And if even in the desert there could be such a thing, so I, I take it as a little bit of a chizak, as a little bit of strength, you know, we have to make the effort to be able to do it. Sometimes you just can't. But otherwise, you know, we don't have as great a teacher of Moshe Rabbeinu, but we have whatever we have. I got to make the effort. I got to be there because there will be things that will often get in the way, but uh, we have to make sure to be there. This is one of those things. Now, says first, why should this mitzvah of Kedoshim Tehiyu be on the list of two of everybody needs to be there? So the Refersh writes uh, very, very beautifully because this idea of sanctity, this idea of being able to live in such a manner is something which is going to be characteristic of the entirety of the nature of the Jewish people. A primary virtue of character, which is going to induce uprightness. It's going to observe, uh, induce sincerity, conscientiousness, brotherliness, the spirit of free. All of these things are going to come. And his language is as follows. This command to be holy is so significant and it is addressed to each and every member of the community. Let no one ever say that there was a position in life, there was a gender, there is an age, a degree of fortune that says, I can't do this. I can't be a holy person. I'm not the right age. I'm too young. I'm too old. I don't have enough money. I have too much money. I'm not smart enough. There is nothing, says Rafersh. In this command of being holy, that a Jew can say, it's not being spoken to me. Lots of other mitzvahs, a Jew would have a well-founded excuse to say, 
I, I can't. This, you know, I don't have what it takes. I'm not in the right position in life. Too old, too young. I'm the wrong gender. I'm not a man. I'm not a woman. I can't do this. This mitzvah says, refers, Kedoshim Tihiyu, to be holy people. Every single man, woman, child is required to be there when Moshe says it because there is no one who is above this requirement to become of the highest absolute morality in the way that one lives. He extends this and says, this requirement to be holy, there is no institution of the power of state that can achieve it. Meaning, some institutions in Jewish life, we can create an institution that's responsible for it. Let's say, taking care of the needy, tzedakah. It's possible, and not only is it possible, I think it's generally done in a community, every individual is not solely responsible for making sure that the needy have what they need. There is an institution that's created. The community is responsible for creating an institution, whether we call it a federation, whether we call it Tom uh, Cheshavas, whatever we call it. You call it Mada, whatever. A community sets up an institution and then the institution worries about it. And the community's done its job by making sure there's an institution which takes care of it. Morality, sanctity, says Rav Hirsch, there is no communal responsibility. There's no institution which can do it. The only way that a community is holy is if each and every individual lives a holy life. There is no crime against holiness that's prosecutable by a a court of law. Somebody doesn't live a holy life, they didn't live a holy life. You can't prosecute that. There's no institution of the community that can take them to court for that. This is purely dependent on the character of the person's concern. And that's why this mitzvah of holiness is thereby said to call Adas B'nai Yisrael. Every single person needs to be part of this. It's incumbent upon us as individuals. You can't hand this off to somebody. I can hand off many things to the community. I can hand off tzedakah and feeding the poor and clothing the needy. I can hand that off to the community, not sanctity. Either I as an individual do it or I will not be holy. And therefore, this is a mitzvah that's said to everybody. What does this look like now? What is holiness? So here we have two comments, one from Rashi and one from the Ramban, and Rav Hirsch is going to combine them all into one. Rashi says that holiness is prushim. It means to be separate, to distance oneself. Rashi specifically says in the area of erva, in the area of sexual morality, to be distant from debauchery, anything that's inappropriate, that is the definition of Holiness. Ramban uh, tweaks that a little bit. It's, it's to be separate, but not specifically or only limited to that area. The Ramban says holiness is bimutarlach, separating yourself with that which is even permissible to you, something which you're allowed to have, the ability to say, I'm allowed to have this, but I'm not going to. That is the essence of holiness. Those are the two comments. Both of those have a lot to talk about on the idea of separation, that holiness is being separate. As Rashi comments, the Ramban says, it means distancing yourself even from things that you're allowed to have. All of that is in the realm of sanctity. With that, uh, Refersh is going to take his own approach, but building himself on those two comments, he says as follows. The height of holiness is being ready for all that is good in which 
the inclination to evil finds no place within us. Meaning we're inclined to want to do good and we're disinclined to want to do evil by separating ourselves from those types of desires, uh, drives that we want for physical pleasures. Rav Hirsch takes it as follows. Uh, let me read his line and then we'll, let's talk about it. This mastery over oneself, this ability to be in control. Holiness is I am in control of myself in that which I allow myself, that which I'm allowed, and I don't allow the things that I'm not allowed. Says Rav Hirsch, this mastery, the highest possible art which human beings can practice, does not, he writes, does not consist of neglecting or curtailing or killing off or doing away with any of one's powers or natural tendencies. Does not mean you have to kill a part of yourself to be holy. No single one of the powers and natural tendencies which are given to man is either good or bad in itself. From the most spiritual down to the most sensuous. The drives, the, the inclinations, the desires we have are not intrinsically holy or unholy. They are. They just are what we have. The only thing that will define them is how we use them. If we use the drives, the inclinations, the taiva, the, the, the powers and tendencies that we have for God's work, for God's will, to grow, to give to others, then those drives and tendencies are holy. If we use them for selfish purposes, then they are unholy. But to be a holy person does not mean I need to cut off, cut away, kill part of who I am, and then I can be holy. That is not holiness. Holiness is recognizing all of those drives, tendencies, wishes, desires that I have, and understand how do I use them in a holy, productive manner, the way that Hashem wants me to use them. Everything that a person has, says Rav Hirsch, they are all given to him for the beneficial purposes to accomplish God's will on earth. The Torah has given us a positive aim and a negative limit. And in the service of this purpose, if we're using the drives, desires, um, and tendencies that we have for a holy purpose, they become holy. If not, so then they become used in a, in a, in a negative way. That idea of being able to just simply channel the things that we want and desire is one of the most critical points in his, in his writing and, and in others. It's based on an idea which comes up in many instances. Let's say, you know, money and fire, for example. Are money, are fire, are they good or are they no good? That's the wrong way to look at it. We don't look at money and fire as being good. We just look at it as being powerful. Things in life are powerful. The question is only, how are you using money? How do you use fire? They can be used for very beneficial purposes in which you can build and create, or they can be used in ways that destroy. And therefore, we don't measure things as either intrinsically good or bad, only how powerful is it? So too is it within our own personal lives and drives and desires that we have, they're not good or bad. Question is, how powerful is it? And then once we understand how powerful it is, then the only question is, how do we choose to use it? With that in mind, the refresh then discusses the suggestion of the Ramban. How do we achieve holiness? Kadesh atzmach b'muterlach. Sanctify yourself with that which is permissible. You're allowed to have certain things. 
You don't have to have everything you're allowed to have. You don't have to eat everything you're allowed to eat. You're allowed to sanctify yourself. Using food is always a simple example. One can sanctify oneself and not indulge or overindulge. I'm allowed to. It's kosher. It's fine. But to be able to refrain and to hold oneself back from that which I'm allowed to have is the ultimate sense of living a life of sanctity. In his language, he says, exercising one's power of restraint and self-control, specifically in things that are permitted, is the greatest um, uh, training ground for being able to do so. Because if we would try to control ourselves in an area of forbidden foods, let's say you'd walk into a non-kosher bakery and say, I'm going to control myself. In that environment, so if you slip up, if you can't hold it yet, then you end up eating something non-kosher. If you walked into a kosher bakery and said, I'm going to control myself, then even if you mess up, the consequences are not so bad. Everything here is kosher. And therefore, when the Ramban says, as Rafersha understands, the measure of holiness is being able to sanctify ourselves with those that is even permissible, but I don't have to indulge myself in everything that's permissible. That's the training ground to achieve holiness. Because in that training ground, even if we fail as we are constantly working and growing on being able to control ourselves, so then, okay, I failed, but everything that I did was fine. It was, it was permissible. Now, when I end up in an environment in which there are things that I'm surrounded by which are not permissible, I have the muscle strength to be able to have that self-control to be able to deal with that. And that's why we start in areas which are permissible. And that chocolate cake, it's, it's really a task. I'm sure all of you have experienced this many times. It's easier to say, I'm not going to eat it at all than it is to say, I'm only gonna have a small piece or I'm only gonna eat half the cake. To, to say, like, I refrain from the whole thing is easier. But to be able to say, I'm going to have a little, and then be able to control myself and say, here but no more, is indeed the greatest, the greatest task. But that's where we learn self-control. And in doing that, that is the definition of being able to separate oneself. The de- definition of Kedusha. What does it mean to be a holy person? Says Refersh, based on Rashi, based on the Ramban, a holy person is one who has drives, who has inclinations, who has desires, and who learns how and when to use them, how and when to implement them in a method that's okay, permissible, and with limitations. I don't necessarily do everything I'm allowed to do. I know when it is to say enough, and I'm able to do so, and that is the definition of a holy person. Kedoshim tihiyu, be sanctified. Use everything that we have, not for our own selfish desires, but to use them in fulfillment of the Ratzon Hashem, that which it is that Hashem wants from us. Says Refersh, based on this, it is no surprise at all what the very first Pasuk is after the command to be holy. As we read, Ish imove aviv tira'u. I want you to fear or revere your mother and your father. You may not sit in his seat. You may not contradict him or her. And keep my Shabbos. First, two comments, just before we get to Refersh's comment on that. Rashi points out. Rashi points out. Excuse me, I lost my place. (laughs) 
The language begins, the Pasuk starts singular, Ish, a man should fear or revere his mother and his father, but the word tiro'u is plural. So Rashi points out, it means kol echan mikem tiro, meaning like, I'm talking to all of you, each as an individual, but as all of you, make sure that you revere your, uh, your mother and your father. Rashi points out, which one comes first? Which parent is in this list first, mother or father? So we find here, the mother is listed first. Ish imo aviv tiro, whereas when we talk about honoring parents, kabed es, there we mention one's father first. And so Rashi here points out, um, based on the Gemara Maseches Kiddushin, that it was revealed before Hashem that every child would have a natural tendency to revere one parent more than another and to honor a parent more than one another. And therefore the Torah highlights the other parent first. So, for example, when it comes to revering a parent, fearing a parent, which of the two parents is it more natural for a child to fear or revere more? There it would be more natural for the child to revere or fear the father. Father teaches Torah, the father is more of the disciplinarian, and therefore it would be more natural to fear one's father. Therefore, the Torah puts in our Pasuk, the mother first. Don't forget about mom. You have to revere her. Don't sit in her seat either. Don't contradict her either. I know naturally you're going to be more afraid of doing that to father. But don't do it to your mother either. And when it comes to honoring parents, which one would the child more naturally honor? The Gemara says a a child would more naturally honor, want to take care of providing clothing and food and drink to one's mother, naturally. And therefore the Torah highlights the father. Don't forget about taking care of dad too. You also need to make sure you take care of his needs, just like you take care of his mother's ne- of your mother's needs. What I've mentioned many times in one of my most favorite comments that the Gemara makes that Rashi here quotes, what is it about the mother that, that she does that allows a child to more naturally want to honor one's mother more than one's father? The father one fears naturally because he's a disciplinarian. He's the one who's teaching Torah. It's like harsh. I understand that. What does mom do more than dad? that a child would more naturally honor the mother that the Torah has to highlight the father. So when I ask this question, and if you, if you guys weren't all on mute, um, generally what people say is, mom takes care of the child. Mom feeds, mom bathes, mom clothes. And therefore, over time, therefore the child wants to return that favor to mom more so or more naturally. And that's why the Torah highlights the father. That's not what the Gemara says. The Gemara says, you know what trait mom generally has better than dad that causes a child to want to give honor to the mother, she wins him over with words. Mom generally speaks nicer, kinder, says nice things about the child to the child more often. And because the mother is better naturally at saying nice things to the child, the child naturally wants to honor the mother more. And on that comment, I always, every time we come across this, I like to stop and comment. Such a beautiful comment. We think that the way to get honor is to maybe you take care of somebody or to demand or whatever it may be. You want to know how you earn honor, the Torah says? When you speak nicely to someone, when you build them up with words, when you say to them how capable they are and successful they are and talented they are and how much you like being around them, the things that mom does really well the natural response of the listener who hears nice things about them, the natural response, I want to give honor to that person. I want to take care of that person. 
Mom is better at mishtad laso bidvarim, stereotypically. And therefore, the Torah says, I need a highlight, don't forget about that. But mom, you're going to take care of on your own because the trait that she has is being able to use those words. Beautiful, beautiful comment. I happen to love that. Use your words well. People will want to honor those who make others feel good with the words that they use. Now we get to Rav Hirsch. Rav Hirsch takes this idea that our goal is to use and channel our desires and our drives. That's the status. That is what Kedusha is. So what's the first mitzvah the Torah gives us? Revere your parents. Why is that the first thing that is required? It says Rav Hirsch has such a beautiful idea. Where is the training ground for taking the things that we really want, especially the sensual, physical things that we want, and learning that we can't do whatever it is that we want? The greatest place where we learn that is from our parents. When a child is born, when a child is born, as psychologists point out regularly, we are born the most selfish creatures on the planet. We only know about ourselves, we only care about ourselves, and we only want to fulfill our own hungry desires. We care and we want nothing about anyone else. And the goal in life is to move out of the selfish stage of our infant years and our toddler years and our adolescent years. We want to move out of that selfish stage and become a selfless creature where we think about others and we care about others and we want to do for others. Where do we first learn the idea that it's not all about us when we're babies and mom and dad say, you need to get into the shower. I don't want to take a bath. You have to take a bath. I don't want to eat dinner. It's time for dinner. I don't want to go to sleep. You have to go to sleep. That interaction, which might make parents pull their hair out and turn white before their time, but that interaction in which a parent imposes a will onto a child, which is the most natural thing. A a child is two years old, three years old, four. They can't make up the rules. They don't know anything about life yet. So the parent needs to instruct. The parent needs to impose. This is how we do things, which is the most natural thing. But in the scheme of life, Think about, says Rav Hirsch, the difference that the child who would grow up in the wild, so to speak, without any structure, thinks and learns the world has no structure. Do whatever it is that you want. That's how the world works. A child with parents learns that's not how the world works. There are rules. There are regulations. And the Torah says, be holy, revere your parents. What's the connection? It's because your parents give you the greatest training ground for the idea that it's not all about us. When we're little kids, we learn this already, that there's such a thing of a parent who gives us instructions, who sets the guidelines, who gives us borders and boundaries and rules and regulations. And what then, says the first beautifully, is the very next phrase? You keep my Shabbos. I'm gonna, I hope I'm, being, I'm doing justice to his explanation. I'm using my own experiences to express, but it's really all based on his idea. Why is that the next phrase? The most beautiful thing happens. And children grow up with this, right? So they're three, four years old, and we tell them all the instructions that we have. And then once a week comes around, and we say to them, no, 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 no computer today. No, 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 no phone. No, 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 you can't turn on the lights. And they say, why? It's Shabbos today. Say, okay, not Shabbos. And they grow up learning there's such a thing called Shabbos. And today, we can't turn on the lights. And they say, why? And the answer is, Hashem created the world in six days and on the seventh he rested. And they say, am I allowed to do this? I don't know, let me ask the rabbi. Uh, what do they learn from this? And I never thought about this until I saw this in the way the Rav Hirsch expresses this. What do they learn from this? Six days a week they learn mom and dad make the rules. 
I have to listen. Oh, my, I can't do this. I can't have ice cream for dinner. I have to eat my broccoli. I have to take a bath. Mom and dad making the rules, making the rules. A child would think, mom and dad are like this godlike creature. They can do whatever they want. They make up the rules. But one day, I'll become big enough and I can make up the rules. And then what happens? Mom and dad who are making up the rules then say, you can't do that today. Why not? Not because I said so. Because Hashem said so. And I also can't do that today. Oh. It's not just that mom and dad create the rules that I have to listen to. They're part of a structure that there's a a being, a Hashem, above them who makes the rules. And the child learns from the earliest of ages the concept, they don't understand what, it, what a Rebona Shololam is yet. At our age, we barely understand what that is. We don't understand what that is. But they understand that there's such a concept of a deity above them who gives them the instructions. How do we achieve Kedusha? It's through when the child says, I want ice cream. I can't have ice cream. It's the first place where they learn, I can't do whatever it is that I want and observed my Shabbos and they learn that the things that I can't do just because I want come from a higher source and that when mom and dad are making up the rules they're not the arbiters of everything there's something above them too and in that we learn it's not about whatever I want to do I'm not created to fulfill my own desires and my own wishes and that's what no the, the drusha that refers to darshaning as Rashi quotes, why do we put together that you have to listen to your parents, but if your parents say to violate Shabbos, then you can't listen. You got to keep Shabbos above that. That is this idea that there is something above and beyond even the parent. And the child grows up in a home in which he learns how he's going to become a kadosh, how he's going to become a holy person. He's going to revere his parents that just because he wants to do whatever he, can, he can't, but that's not coming because of them. It's coming because of the Rebona Shalom who gave us the mitzvah of Shabbos and he gave us all of these mitzvahs. And when we learn that lesson, which comes straight out of these things, everyday things which we learn from the time we're the youngest of children, we learn the idea of sanctity. I don't have to cut out part of who I am. I just have to learn to channel the parts of who I am in the right method, in, under the right guidelines, in the right time and place and through that, I achieve the element of Kedoshim, of to be a holy people, which is a mitzvah said, El Kol Adas B'nei Yisrael, to the entirety of the Jewish people, no matter what stage of life, what financial state of life, men, women, children, everyone is required to hear that to say, we are required and can be a holy, sanctified people that does not act on every whim and desire that we have that understands what it means, control, to wait, there's a time and a place to manifest. If Hashem gave it to me, it's a holy thing. I just need, it's a good thing, or it can be used for good. Just need to understand how and when to be able to use it for those purposes. May we all be blessed to live such holy, sanctified lives.